$2.99. I went to Survivor Series and War Games. I didn't go to Raw or SmackDown. I think that was a wise decision on my part. Join our Patreon, patreon.com slash shakethemropes. December's coming. That's when we'll start creating new content for that. Probably going to be planning that over this holiday weekend because here in the States, it's Thanksgiving, Chris. What is your favorite part of Thanksgiving? My favorite part of Thanksgiving is my great aunt's stuffing recipe. She does this thing where she uses salt pork in the stuffing, and it's just a very distinct flavor that I only really get once a year at Thanksgiving. So that and some gravy, and and I'll eat a lot of that with some turkey mashed in. I, I too, am a stuffing guy. I, I my, my family is more of the traditional, you know, bread, pepper, onion, you know, sage, stuff in the bird type. Um, I have, I'm not, uh, I've, I've never, my family has never really experimented with the meat in the stuffing type of thing. I know some people put oysters in there. I'm like, okay, that's kind of ooh, interesting. Ooh, ooh, that's spicy. Yeah. Um, oh, no, I, I'm a, uh, my, my favorite thing about things, like in my 20s is I, I'd wake up, and even my teens, you know, you wake up, you'll play a brutal game of tackle football with your friends. You come home, you watch a couple of the f- bad football games between with Detroit and Dallas, and then you'd watch Starcade or Survivor Series, depending on what was on at the time. Um, but it, it's weird how, how wrestling has evolved, because Thanksgiving night used to be a huge night in the territories. Because once you were done, there was, they never had that third NFL game. And what? And now that you know wrestling has kind of seeded Thanksgiving night to the NFL, you know that that tradition has entirely died. And so now you get Survivor Series on like the second Sunday in November, which is still kind of weird to me because it was at first it was the Thanksgiving night tradition, and then it was the night after Thanksgiving <laughs> night tradition, and now it's eh, it's some some random Sunday on in November whenever we can fit it in between our other pay-per-views. But uh, I, I enjoyed my, my Survivor Series and War Games uh, experiences to vastly different audiences, and we'll get into that in a bit. Uh, your your opinions of uh, the weekend's wrestling. I thought that this weekend really delivered on balance. So we were kind of down on the Survivor Series preview show, about the work that you could expect a Survivor Series, but I thought that there were a few matches in there that really over-delivered, most notably off the top of my mind here, Shinsuke Nakamura and Seth Rollins. We were wrong in our predictions pretty much 100%. Dean Ambrose wasn't involved at all. It wasn't shaky Shinsuke. We actually got good Shinsuke, and I, I thought that on balance that was a really good match. And, and I thought that the show w- was good too long, the sweep thing felt kind of overkilly at a certain point. And I loved War Games. I thought War Games was really good. I have not watched either of these on television yet, so I can only give you the experience um, f- from a live perspective. Uh, NXT audiences are more sports audiences, and, and I've really now come to the conclusion that main roster audiences, and this is, I'll get into this when I talk about the 205 live match. Main roster audiences are kind of like, the way I put it was, it's a, it's a, it's it's like a night of interactive theater for them. 
rather than a sporting event. They're very quiet in between the matches. You know, they'll watch the ads. They're not very rambunctious. They they chant when they're supposed to. They're the you know, it's like a Rocky Horror Picture Show type of thing, but just on a grander scale. It's like, okay, here's the entrance where I'm supposed to cheer. Here's the high spot where I'm supposed to start chanting, "This is awesome." Um, and it's it's very look. If you think that the WWE needs to change wrestling style and booking to survive, they don't. They absolutely don't because most people are happy with entrances and false finishes. And that was apparent at this Survivor Series card. Um, the B team got a loud reaction when they came out on the pre-show. I'm like, who the hell cheers for the B team? Apparently Los Angeles does. It, it, it was amazing. Where, where do you want to start? NXT or uh, or main roster first? Where do you want to start? I, I'm, I'm open to either direction. What let's match go, let's go most in order. struck your fancy? Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Oh, well, no, no. I, I say let's go in order because I think okay. uh, I think we can we can do it that way and then clean up on any points from Raw in the aftermath of it. Raw and SmackDown. Uh, so for NXT, they, they taped... Uh, they, they taped the TV for Wednesday, and I can speak on that. You get a Keith Lee squash match, a Lars Sullivan squash match, um, and then eventually a Keith Lee and Lars Sullivan uh, interaction. And then a pretty good match between Nikki Cross and Candice LeRae, which which should be the highlight of the show. Um, and the main show opened up with Matt Riddle versus Cassius Ono in a singles match. Uh person I was with, very excited for this. Oh, good, we get to see Matt Riddle versus Cassius Ono. Maybe, I said, hey, maybe it'll be like the Evolve show I saw in 2015 with them on it. Ah, uh, no. <laughs> Seven second knockout, crowd pops huge for Matt Riddle. Um, <laughs> uh, the person I was with, very angry. Very angry that this is what they got. Uh, apparently, they're going to have a, a real match uh, on TV in, in two weeks. But, uh, yeah, we got Matt Riddle and Cassius Ono, but it was seven seconds long. Yeah, I actually like this. I, I like the idea that Cassius Ono has become a bit delusional. And they're trying to yeah. book Matt Riddle strong, so it makes sense that he would run through Cassius Ono. And, and I do like the fact that they are going back for the actual match here. Ono can say, whoa, that was that was a fluke. That that was, you know, that shouldn't have happened. I, I wasn't ready. You caught me off guard. And they can have a more competitive match that ultimately Matt Riddle will win. I understand why people people have look when 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 Ono came back from his run on the Indies, he was the hottest guy on the Indies when he came back. And people want that guy in NXT. That's not him. He is a he is an enhancement to the stars' talent. Matt Riddle, if if nobody knew who he was in that arena, had never seen his uh, his indie career. He's a star. Seven second knockout, boom! That's what you want. You want a guy out there quick to look strong and for people to say, "Hey, he's a guy." And I think this did it. I, I didn't have a problem with it either. I, I, I but. Uh, but <laughs> the lady I was with, fuming, absolutely fuming. I, oh, I hated that all night. It was it was great. I mean, I almost had to, I almost had to restrain her from from hitting the ring and, and almost beating up Matt Riddle. That's how <laughs> angry she was. 
Uh, followed by what I thought was a pretty darn good, but felt a bit rushed match. Shayna Baszler defeating Kyrie Sane 2-1 in a 2 out of 3 falls for the NXT Women's Championship. Kind of went how we thought. Uh, Jessamine and Marina come down, interfere. And then uh, Dakota Kai and, and Io Shirai come down to even up the odds. Io Shirai's moonsault was absolutely gorgeous. It, oh, it's fantastic. It was a thing of art. I mean, I, I watched, I went, man, that was pretty, and especially in in street clothes as she was. Um, yeah, I, I guess uh, Shane, I, I thought there was a chance they might put the belt back on Kyrie. Yeah, I thought there was maybe a chance, but but it makes sense because we're now building a faction around Shayna, so she'll have Jessamine and Marina to kind of help her keep the belt at home. Mm-hmm. Um, but overall, you know, a nice match. It just... It felt like for three falls, it was a bit rushed because I think it was only about yes. 11 minutes long total. And it was like, you could have done one fall this way and been perfectly fine. I, I think three falls, it, it's a bit much and it's a bit insulting at times to do to rush three falls like this. I have no problem with flash pins in a two out of three falls match. But then you got to tell like a, tw- a, a 10 to 15 minute story for the second fall and maybe the third fall comes a little bit quicker after that. Yeah, there's a part of the story that was missing from this match that kept it from being fully satisfying for me. And that's the thing that Shayna is afraid of Kyrie, And that fear is what's motivating her. That's why she brought the friends in. But that, but that motivated her in the last match as well. And keeping that through line here... I think was important and not done. And I'm with you. The pacing of the match was just too fast for me to get really into it. Although I love that moonsault at the end. Alistair Black defeated Johnny Gargano in a singles match. I don't know exactly what the problem with Rich and Joe on the flagship are with Gargano and Champa, uh, But Gargano to me on these takeovers is still compelling. And I really... I loved this match. I loved the mockery. I loved Gargano playing heel. I love that uh, <laughs> Alistair Black was just kicking the crap out of him at the end. I, I, I really liked this match a lot. Went 18 minutes or so. I have no complaints about this match. It was fun. Yeah, I enjoy it. I, I like the Johnny heel character. I, I like how he still thinks he's the good guy, but he's clearly delusional. I, I liked the spot where he begs Alistair Black to put him yes. out of his misery, and the con works because Alistair Black thinks that Johnny's such a worm that he actually wants this because he's completely lost his mind, but it's Johnny doing a desperation play. There's a lot of things going on right there in that spot that I really enjoyed, and I thought on balance the work was pretty good. It's not my favorite pairing, but I thought this was a good match. I, You know what? I liked that spot both by Gargano and by Shane McMahon the next night. I, I did. I, I thought... Uh, I thought it was perfectly clear. Come on, <laughs> let's end this. Um, I I think it might have been one of Alistair Black's better performances since since being on the NXT roster. I am I was not the biggest fan of Tommy End on the Indies, but um, I liked I liked that he was angry here. I liked that he kind of uh, he wrestled very angry and aggressive here, rather than just kind of being, you know, he, he wanted to punish kicks. Johnny. Yes. 
That that's that's the perfect way to put it. I mean, the thing that was motivating him, including up to that pivotal spot we were just talking about, is this idea that Johnny deserved it, and Johnny was able to prey upon that there. Mm-hmm. Tommaso Ciampa retains the NXT Championship, defeating Velveteen Dream. Uh, we were a little concerned. We had some, and uh, not after this match. He's gonna no be, way, Velvet- man. This is great. Velveteen Dream is going to be fine on the main roster whenever he gets brought up. This was a beautiful homage to all of the classic 1990s, early 1990s WWF wrestlers. And the Velveteen Dream throughout this match sort of established himself within this continuum of champions by doing all of these moves and doing them well and weaving it together to tell a coherent story. So at the end of it, the takeaway, even though he's not a champion, the one thing we were talking about coming into this show is we didn't feel like it was his time yet. Well, I don't feel that way anymore. My my mood has changed because of the work that I saw here. And this was just a very, very nicely done match. Uh, I I nailed this when he said when I said he was going to do the Hollywood Hogan homage. I I really liked. Yes, that. you did. Um, I think live watching him, he is so absolutely such a physical specimen in terms of athleticism, being six four and agile as he is, that he has a tendency to oversell a bit which makes it look kind of weird and gangly when he does it live, um, almost cartoonish. But at the same time, it, it's kind of the same complaint I have a bit about EC3, where I think he needs to kind of put a little bit more seriousness into some of his mannerisms. But but Velveteen Dream sometimes oversells a little bit. I don't know how... I think he's still learning baby face selling. So he's yeah. doing heel selling a little bit here because it is... A little goofy, but that kind of goes into the classic heel-sell mode where you oversell in a way that's not quite sympathetic. Velveteen Dream doesn't do, I've got fight left in me yet. He doesn't have that, yeah, you can't beat this out of me thing. And once he finds that note in his character, I think he'll really be off the races as a babyface. No, I think that he's he's not like doing Shawn Michaels versus Hogan overselling, you know, where he was doing that to make the guy look ridiculous. I just think he's so athletic. Like, he'll take a bump and he'll be on his feet with the kind of gangly legs way too quick sometimes where it look, just looks kind of like, whoa, you know? He shouldn't, he, you know, it, it, and then you see the wheels it's starting to cartoonish. turn on the acting. Yeah, it is. It's a little cartoonish. But that'll work on the main roster for him at the same time if he's a heel doing that. Babyface, not so sure, but uh, it's kind of like Rick Rude. You no, know, that 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 that's a good call. Because um, that, yeah, when he was in the in the ring with like the Warrior and stuff, yeah, no, you, you, that, right, another good call by you there. Yeah, no, that's perfect. And and again, the complaints about Champa, whatever, I I don't get those either by the guys there, but. You know, I, I have no animus towards Rich and Joe. I just didn't know what they were. They're like, oh, we're going to get the same kind of. Rich, Joe, he's lying. He was telling me before the show he has deep animus. He was like, oh, you don't want to even know about how much animus I have. <laughs> and then he let me in on how much animus. And let me tell you guys, it's grave. It's a grave amount of animus. And you should promote me. What? The staring at the hands and all that. Uh, you know, I, I thought Champa was perfectly fine here as a, as a scuzzy heel. 
trying to get the win, pulls up the match. You know, he has his he has his tropes because that's what the character is supposed to do. All wrestling characters have tropes, so I don't worry about that as much as some people do. My and problem think, with Champa is the song. I think the song completely takes away from oh, his just, entrance, and it's yes, just a total the just a guy theme song. Just the siren would be fine. I like the silence. I always thought that was a good part. Oh, man, I love the silence. All the crowd booing him and chanting whatever they want and letting organic things happen in the entrance. And I mean, my theory remains that they're scared of profanities getting chanted at him and having to bleep all of those out, which is why they do the music. But that just fits this character so much more, this man in deep isolation than this weird nickelbackish rock song. Yeah, I I, it, I I agree. I'm 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 down on. I'm down on the theme song. I really am. Just it takes away from the whole entrance. Yeah. Uh, and then finally, your war games match, in which the team of Ricochet, Pete Dunne, and the War Raiders defeated the undisputed era: Adam Cole, Bobby Fish, Kyle O'Reilly, and Roderick Strong. Uh, I got to see a war games match. I was happy with the War Games match mostly, but I I see where I'm having a problem with it in terms of it being an NXT, and I'll, I'll tell you why in a second here. I liked the match. I think it relies on a few things that the old school... The old school War Games had the... Had, had the... How, how do I put this? Had the advantage of it being a very heated feud and you could substitute you, you had brutality and heat in there and it felt like you know sure it was old kicking and stomping but it felt like everybody in that ring hated each other they were trying to dish out as much pain in the cage as they could and i think now they've kind of substituted that with weapons and it's not that weapons were never involved in like the 87 war games where Paul Ellering had the spiked forearm pad and you know you had the telephone and 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 the part of the turnbuckle in the 92 war games but you know the I think, narrative through lines more important in those earlier war games yeah. and you're right the weapons come in and it's about building to the big spot rather than creating a clean resolution in the war games like dusty's yeah. vision of war games was we're gonna settle this data and i didn't feel like the undisputed era had been settled shall we say at the end of war games no and i and i, I totally agree it's now and i'm not sure that modern wrestling style lends itself to war games it, it you know the 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 theme park stunt show aspect of it where, you know, you have guys waiting to catch Ricochet as he does. I mean, and that move was impressive as hell live, the the double flip. But at the same time, it's like that doesn't belong in a War Games match. See, I think that can fit into a War Games it match. It can. Again, if you have that narrative ending, if, if that's the I'm willing to go to this length in order to f- defeat you guys, to finally yes. put you away once and for all, then that makes sense and it gives yeah. that move a purpose. Um, I, I still think you need blood. The best thing to happen in last year's War Games match was Alexander Wolf accidentally splitting his head open. And, and look, he was okay, so I can say that now. At the time, it was scary as hell to watch. But it added a, a, a real visceral feel to the War Games. Um, I also think you need... You can't have a pinfall 
You need the surrender. That's the part of war. War is a surrendering type of thing where one army surrenders to the other. Otherwise, it's just you won this battle as opposed to you lost the war. I think that gets back to the resolution thing. And I think, I think, you know, you just, this match, you have to have the fights that they did to set this up were okay. But again, for me, it doesn't warrant a war games match, which is a problem WCW had when they kept wanting to pull this out year after year. And you were trying to find feuds hot enough to put guys in there. When they had the first one with the horseman, the horseman had been around for two years already, you know, beating up guys, breaking Dusty's arm, trying to break people's legs, et cetera, et cetera, where, to the point where you're like, we need to get this gang into this cage so that we can instill some punishment on them. You know, the Dangerous Alliance was kind of the same way, and that, that's why those are really two of the better types of matches because you had all that. And you had guys just grinding into each other's foreheads like they hated each other and stuff. I, I liked the match. Don't get me wrong. I, it, it, it no, was but I, I tried fantastic. to explain the setup of this match to my friend who was over, and we were watching it. And I was like, well, you see, Adam Cole has had a feud with Pete Dunne and Ricochet, so they kind of don't like Adam Cole, who's sort of kind of more or less the leader of the Undisputed Era, and the War Raiders are fighting for the tag team titles, which the Undisputed Era have, and they just got Bobby Fish back, and so that that's why this is all happening. And when I got at the end of that explanation, he was like, oh, it didn't excite yeah, but but the but the rundown, uh, the last run when they when they were really picking up the pace after kind of a lull, and the crowd lulled too, and that's the weird thing to me is because I'll watch I have I have the War Games DVDs and the crowd's hot throughout. Crowd the wasn't hot throughout. Of setup this. Is been, kind of it weird, was about ten minutes right? too long, and once once the it's match the twenty minutes started, of setup, it's yeah. everyone well, coming no, no, into the ring and. No, I no, I don't think it's fine because you okay. tell everyone that the first twenty minutes of the match don't matter. At least when you're on commentary, they're like the match doesn't begin until everyone gets into the ring. So the first twenty minutes could be fine if you are telling kind of a, a very specific story. And, and unfortunately, War Games sort of lends itself to one particular story, which is the heels have the advantage and take advantage early in the match. Yeah. But I didn't even think that they did a good job doing the staging in there to really kind of set up like the arc, like Hanson's knee. Like the injuries that those guys incurred on NXT the week prior didn't really play into this match in any serious way. And I sort of assumed that they would. Uh, and so I think that that's the bigger problem. And then after that 20 minutes, now the match has begun, but the audience has seen most of these dudes in the ring for a very long time now. And I think that's why you get the lull coming around minute 30. Okay. I, I can see that. Uh, I, I just, I, I would have gotten rid of the trope of another year, another messing with the other team's cage so that they couldn't get a guy out there to even up the odds. Okay, I get it. Um, you know, one, once you start putting the plunder in the ring again, it's like, okay, it's going to become a CZW-style hardcore match. When Pete Dunne was struggling with that cage, I was thinking about Spinal Tap, the scene where Derek is struggling to get out of the cocoon.
Well, I'll tell you something. Here, here's something that, that you don't know live is you're watching that. The referees just kind of go back to the sides until the countdown clock comes on. And then they decide, oh, yeah, we got to figure out a way to open this cage again. It's like you had three minutes this entire time. You could have been kind of, you know, playing the act of, OK, I don't know how to open this cage now because Bobby Fish just threw the key into the audience that carried on the television as well because it was a question that my friend asked like why aren't they working on trying to get him out of the cage they know that that's not the lock that's supposed to be on there yeah it's, it's like oh we waited the three minutes to then get the the bolt cutters it was there, there was just that that lapse in continuity that someone needed to tighten up on on whatever run through they were doing but uh i like the match a lot I, I mean i love the undisputed era i do i they're God, you know what? If if there's something that can save 205 Live, and you don't ever want to wish that on anybody because 205 Live is purgatory, it might be the Undisputed Era. But uh, a fun show. I mean, not not an unhappy person leaving after it. And then the next night was uh, Survivor Series, which was pretty good, I thought. Uh, the pre-show, you had the 10 on 10 Survivor Series Tag Team Elimination Match. Team SmackDown wins their only match of the night, although not in continuity. Uh, I absolutely well, love. It depends on which continuity, I suppose. <laughs> although they did, they did bring it up as a running gag on SmackDown. But uh, I loved, um, I loved the Usos and the Revival. I thought that that part was the best part of the match because everything else was kind of like prelude to it. Because you always had, you know, you had the. Uh, the various, uh, you know, alternating pinfalls, which you're kind of like, eh, okay, whatever. Uh, but, uh, you know, fun match for what it was. Uh, you got, I love the Bobby Roode, Chad Gable moonsault spot. I'll never get tired of watching that. Uh, but, uh, you know, it was what a tag team match is in the WWE in terms of an elimination match. Yeah, unfortunately. I, I mean, it was a great match. It really was. And... It is once again a reminder that the Revival are criminally misused on this roster, but that will just continue to be a running theme. Uh, Team Raw, Mickey James, Nia Jax, Tamina, Bailey, and Sasha Banks with Alexa Bliss defeated Team SmackDown, Naomi, Carmella, Sonya Deville, Asuka, and Mandy Rose. All right, here, here's my pet peeve. If you're going to run an angle on the pre-show and you're going to give us this kind of news, you got to run it in the arena. Nobody in that arena, unless they were on Twitter, knew that Bailey and Sasha Banks were part of Team Raw. They were still there. Everybody around me was still expecting Ruby Riot and Natty to be on on the thing until other people said, "Oh no, they did something on the pre-show where the two couldn't get along." Drove me absolutely nuts because they did play, they did play the Stephanie talking to Baron Corbin about, you know, if you want to keep your general manager job thing, you need to run the table. And they did play, you know, the uh, the vignettes with the main five-on-five men's thing with our truth in it. But they didn't tell us anything about this, and it just absolutely drove me nuts. Yeah, and I guess we need to talk now about Nia Jax, the facebreaker, or whatever her new moniker is that they gave her on commentary. They're going to run with this. 
they're going to run with, with the fact that she hurt Becky. And, you know, I don't know how much is playing along, and I don't know how much is now we hate you for real type of stuff. Um, I, I, I don't know. I'm agnostic because I'm, I'm fine with whatever you can use to get somebody over. And if Nia Jax can get over this way, whereas the whole pretty model, you know, getting awards, you know, outside of WWE – it wasn't building her up as a as a as a strong female role model for for women outside of that. It was just you know it was part of her character arc or whatever. So I'm I'm fine with them using this. I, I really am. Yeah, I guess I could be turned around on this I, I, because I think that Naya can say now something to the effect of "I'm here to break all of your pretty favorites." That sort of thing, and, and and you can have her work a more aggressive style. I, I the one thing I'm worried about with her working a more aggressive style is uh, issues of safety, shall we say? Oh, well, well, you don't have to worry about the issues of safety. No, I don't. I'll be perfectly safe. That, but you know that that's the benefit of a television screen. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, I you know I just want to know who's on the teams. I mean, I I, I got a little bit more excited about this. Uh, it, was, it was a pretty good match, I thought. And Naomi, <laughs> Naomi had a, had a short night, much like Joe did later. Uh, that was a little upsetting, but uh, it told the story they wanted to tell. Nia Jax, Uber heel. So uh, we'll see where that goes. Seth Rollins defeated Shinsuke Nakamura in Shinsuke Nakamura's best singles match on the main roster. I thought uh, I dug the pacing of this. He was great here. Um, I love that they kind of played up. It, you know what it felt like? I mean, it, look, it, it didn't reach the level of New Japan Shinsuke. But the beginning of it felt like New Japan Shinsuke to me. With all the kind of the psychological stuff. I mean, I, they've done it before, but uh, I think Seth... Seth knows how Shinsuke Nakamura likes to wrestle and yes. what Shinsuke Nakamura's wheelhouse is and knows how to bring out the best elements of Nakamura's style in a WWE context. So he's a really, really good pairing for him in that way. And, and I think we got to see, as you were saying, the best adaptation of Nakamura's skill set in a WWE ring we've seen yet. I, this is, again, not New Japan Nakamura, but I think all of us who watched him in New Japan sort of knew, yes, it's exciting that he's going to WWE, but it's not going to be what you think it's going to be. Yeah, and and look, if you can make money and not have to work too hard, I'm all for it. That, that's my thing. I, I'm like, everybody's like, oh, man, Shinsuke Nakamura. That's one of my values. Of, that's definitely one of my a, values. Oh, he's got a reputation of being lazy. I'm like... All right. <laughs> Is he getting paid? Great. Have a Coke and a smile and shut up. Uh, Work smarter, not harder. Absolutely, exactly. my brother. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but he brought it. He, he brought his lunch pail, and uh, I, I really enjoyed these two working together quite a bit. No interference, which I liked a lot. No nut shot from Shinsuke, which I liked a lot. It's a clean match, you know. Miss, you know, it's 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 your standard how WWE builds excitement by, you know, missing finishers or kicking out of finishers. But for what it was, it was pretty darn great. I thought. Yeah, I liked it. And I liked the little mutual respect angle at the end too between Nakamura and Rollins. I thought so too. I picked up on that too, but I wasn't sure. I thought he may help him up eventually, but but man, I kind of wanted that, and I kind of liked that they didn't 
pay pay me off on that. I, I do. I, I like sometimes just the lingering look and let us fill in the blanks, but don't tell us necessarily. I like that. I think they're giving themselves some flexibility for when they bring up Lars Sullivan. Oh, okay. Because I think they want to do big things with Lars, and having Lars beat someone of Nakamura's stature and becoming U.S. champion right away seems a, like a good way to catapult Lars Sullivan. That's the other thing we got. We got that. We got that in the arena too. We we got to see the uh, teaser vi- video that he's coming to SmackDown. So interesting call there. Wait, they said uh, it's for sure he's coming to SmackDown. I thought they were leaving that kind of ambiguous. Oh yeah, no, they said coming soon. You're right. You're right. Then, we'll, we'll talk about other things as well concerning this match, but uh, the AOP, the Raw Tag Team Champions with Drake Maverick, defeated The Bar. I don't know what to say about this. I really don't. Oh, I, you sound a little bit incontinent, my friend. <laughs> Kill me. Oh, dear Lord. I can't believe in 2018... They did a pee joke. And not only did they do a pee joke, they did a pee joke with with a heel manager, but who was also the face, the authority figure of 205 Live. I just... Yeah, you might say they flushed his credibility down the drain. Oh, oh, oh I did it again. <laughs> uh, the match itself, nothing to write home about, but nobody was talking about the match. And I'll tell you why. Because right before this match, those of us who had our Twitter accounts, people were asking, is that is that Enzo Amore in the second row? A lot of people go, no, nah, that can't be, whatever. Yeah, it was Enzo Amore in the second row looking to make an ass of himself. And security got on him quick. I mean, it was it was weird. And live, live there were a couple of how you doing chants that people tried to start. And it got a little bit of a buildup, and they got shut down very quick. So I'm happy with the uh, with the audience there. I'll tell you one thing though: if Enzo had started, the, if Enzo had not blown his wad so quick, so to speak, for lack of a better term, and if he had come and he had stood up during the Buddy Murphy during Mustafa Ali match, he'd be he'd have gotten that chant going. He'd have overshadowed the match. And he'd be a much bigger deal versus being an irritating footnote. But that's sort of the story of Enzo Amore's career, isn't it? <laughs> it is a bit. Uh, look, AOP and the bar, I didn't think, worked terribly well together. And the spot w- with Drake Maverick was contrived. That's all I got to say about that. You got anything else on that? The spot was really contrived. I thought that this should have been an absolute blowout. I, they didn't work well together. This was not a good match. And I hate the Drake Maverick spot a lot. And I think it has launched a thousand shitty jokes. And I guess you can put a nickel in the swear jar for that, but I have no problem giving that nickel up. Buddy Murphy defeated Mustafa Ali. Um, I was worried about this match when it started because a couple guys uh, in various sections yelled, who are you? Got big pops from the crowd. Uh, CM Punk chant started. That got shut down very quick. By the end of this match, though, they had... They had brought the uh, they had brought the crowd around, but not to a point where they were in a fever pace. The "This is awesome" chant 
during this match felt almost almost like an applause sign at a talk show. People don't know what this is awesome means anymore. It's just a thing people say like a what chant. Yeah. When things hit a certain threshold, you just are saying this is awesome. And it's not even really a useful indicator for WWE anymore to know what's really working, what's really connecting, and what's just part of the ritual. Yeah, no, it, it, it was apparent. Um, I think they need to put the Cruiserweights on Raw again. I do, just for a segment. I don't care that that died a ratings death. You need it for the for the benefit of the show because it's obvious to me the main roster. You have the cruiserweight champion on. You have to have the top angle yes. of two hundred five live on Raw every week, and the cruiserweight champion comes out and has matches against people and makes those matches relevant. And I, yes, I guess you'd have to have Murphy on every week, and Murphy has to have some really good dominant performances over some of the 205 Live roster to establish who he is to this crowd so that the who are you chants stop and that people give a damn about what 205 Live is about. Because right now, I think most people just think 205 Live is about the Lucha House Party who don't have the belts and aren't even really title contenders. I'm now convinced that maybe 70% of people who watch 205 Live are podcasters who cover wrestling. Uh, I think enough people in that audience watch 205 Live to help the casuals, but unless you're on cable, nobody's going to know who you are. That's that's just apparent here. Or they need to, or they need to put the 205. They need to put the cruiserweight classic match is on not cruiserweight the 205 champion cruiserweight champion matches on the NXT show. It, it, it's one or the other. You either need to have a segment with the cruiserweights on Raw. Or you need to have them on NXT. I, it, it, there's no way about it. You can't. I think you get there quicker on NXT, but you know they're gonna do what they're gonna do. Yeah, good match. Um, was a little surprised they did not belt Mustafa Ali. I thought, I think the crowd was ready for it by the end of this match, and uh, the Murphy pin came out of nowhere. I thought they told an interesting story. Mustafa Ali was killing himself in this match. Absolutely killing himself physically with with the bumps off the turnbuckles. Every time he tried to go on the top rope, Buddy Murphy yanked him down, and he took a and he took some kind of weird bump. The Spanish flies off the tables. I thought were that's when the crowd really started to get into it a bit. The thing that's missing is commentary, really explaining the nuances of these moves. It, commentary stays yeah. in that standard WWE format, and really, what they would benefit from is taking a few notes or a few pages out of Mike Tenay's book from 1997 where he's explaining these cruiserweight wrestlers and what makes them special and why these moves are cool and the stories behind these moves so that people are having a more watchful eye for the high-flying stuff and can appreciate what they're seeing because I think it just is a whole bunch of, uh, what did Randy Orton call it, dive? Yeah, and and I, I, I think that's Nigel's job on here, and I think Nigel does a good Absolutely. job on here. Percy Watson's not going to be, you know, giving you the intricacies of what a Spanish fly can do. I like Percy Watson on NXT. He's fine there. He doesn't belong on 205 Live. Um, no, he it, gets it, in Nigel's way. Yes. And and Nigel is playing far more of a cartoon character on 205 Live than I think I would personally like. But uh, 
you know, his heel presence comes in handy sometimes, but he, he needs to explain a little bit better the nuances of the moves, I think, um, to help. But I also think that would have to be a segment on Raw, and then it would get eyeballs. He can't ju- You can't just make 205 a straight wrestling show and expect the WWE audience, and I say that very specifically, WWE main roster audience, to then come over and go, okay, we're into this. They, they tried that thing with Enzo. I understood why they did it. And it was starting to work, unfortunately, uh, at the time, I thought. Uh, <laughs> it's because they haven't educated their audience about what makes cruiserweight wrestling special. And that's commentary's job. It, it, it just requires a different commentary direction that I don't think they're necessarily inclined to go in. And this is a company that, that goes on spectacle and size. Look at what they really want, right? What they want is Braun Strowman overcoming Drew McIntyre, Bobby Lashley, Baron Corbin, big dudes getting overcome by an even bigger dude. Yeah. Team Raw beat Team SmackDown in the five-on-five traditional match. Uh, story of this match for me, Shane McMahon killing himself. And the Miz being the friend who won't, who who keeps on encouraging him to try and kill himself. I howled at that part. I because uh, I don't know how how your childhood went, but like if me as a kid, I was kind of a little straight laced. But I had friends who were like, "No, you can ride your bike down that hill. You'll be fine." And so that's what the Miz was doing here, and I loved every moment of it. I loved that he was bailing to hide behind Shane's bravado. Shane has no business doing these stunts. I get that. I, I, I get the criticism of Super Shane. I don't like Super Shane. I don't like pushing Shane over wrestlers. I certainly hated the Samoa Joe being out of there in seven seconds type of crap. But for what it was, towards it's the, the end main there, roster what, audience. When it came down to Shane and The Miz, and The Miz was encouraging him to do another coast-to-coast dropkick, I, I, you can't help but not like that kind of just just blatant, uh, oh, no, you go ahead and sacrifice your body. I'm, I'm not going to do that. Uh, for what it was, it was fine. It set up Braun Strowman against three much bigger guys or three big guys that he can go through to once he's back from his injury because they took him out on Monday. Uh, he can go through and then, you know, be a dominant champ once he reaches Lesnar. Yeah, and I enjoy the Shane spots. Look, Shane, it's what we were talking about with the main roster audience. They don't get the cruiserweight wrestling, and for whatever reason, this audience still loves Shane McMahon. I, I, I don't get it. I, it's it's not my cup of tea. All he does is the high spots that typified his career. And, and in all fairness, it's kind of what he did best. Yeah, it's living vicariously through Shane. It, you know, all, all the guys who are in their 40s are like, I used to be an athlete. I could do that. Oh, go ahead, Shane. Go get him. And plus, you know, Shane's part of the Attitude Era. People love the Attitude Era people. I, I, I know it's it's mind-boggling, but they they want to see him play the hits. So he's going to play the hits, and the crowd goes home happy. Uh, I, I loved the thought that he was doing some kind of heel turn, but, uh, you know, after best in the world, I guess we all bit on that a bit too soon. Uh, Leo Rush is a fantastic manager. 
in terms of the mannerisms and the acting he does during a match. I, th- I thought he was absolutely great live, watching him pace. Because they make managers do kind of the same thing. You pace back and forth in a certain thing. You hit the mat at a certain time. But he's interacting with the crowd. He's cheering him on. I thought he was absolutely great uh, watching him live. Uh, the match itself, you know, it, it was fine. Shane McMahon died for our sins and we got our, and our, and our entertainment dollar. What what else are you going to do on there? I liked the follow-up on SmackDown, too. I did. I liked that Miz-Shane McMahon tag match on SmackDown where Miz loses. It doesn't make Miz look very good, but at the same time, it gets the story over. I was fine with it. What did you think of that? Yeah, Miz is a cartoon character. Losses don't really hurt him because he's the Miz, and he can always come out and cut a promo and get all of his heat back, and no one thinks that Dane or Wayne Bryant can actually beat the Miz after Wayne or Dane Bryant pinned him. They just think that the Miz was being an ass, and he paid the price for being one. Oh, I disagree. I want this match at TLC. I want want Miz... Versus and the Dane Bryant. Bryant. Yeah, oh, both no, of I them. want both the Bryants. Yes, I, I do. I, I want... <laughs> Give the no, guys I, I'm, with, I'm with you. There's unexplored depths in Dane, I believe it is. <laughs> I want to know about their family. I want to know how how two people with such vastly different genetics can be brothers. Is it is it a Dudley That's Boys type easy. of situation? Yeah, it's the Dudley Boys. Sure. <laughs> like to thank our sponsor this week, Robinhood. Robinhood is an investing app that lets you buy and sell stocks, ETFs, options, and cryptos all commission-free. It's a non-intimidating way for stock market newcomers to invest for the first time with true confidence. Chris, you've, uh, you've had Robinhood for quite some time, even before they became a sponsor on the show. Tell the people about them. Yes, absolutely. So Robinhood is fantastic if you are new to investment because it is entirely commission-free and you can start up for a relatively low amount. With other trading services, they have enhanced options, but there is an issue of commission. So every time you buy or sell a stock, you have to pay that brokerage house a certain amount of money, which makes it hard to come in with $100 and really do anything with investment in the short term. With Robinhood, you can make medium-term plays. like You could buy a stock and hold on to it for about a month. And if you think that it's at a new high, you can sell it. You can also get, as Jeff mentioned, ETFs, which are composites of a whole bunch of different stocks. You can do cryptocurrencies if that's your jam. Commodities are also available on Robinhood. And we have a fantastic offer, don't we, Jeff? That's right. Robinhood is giving listeners a free stock like Apple, Ford, or Sprint to help build your portfolio. What you need to do is you go sign up at shake.robinhood.com. That's shake.robinhood.com. After that, Ronda Rousey defeated Charlotte Flair via DQ. This is my favorite Charlotte Flair match ever. This is my favorite Charlotte Flair ever. I'm not the biggest Ronda Rousey person in the world, but I absolutely loved Charlotte Flair in this match. And I'll tell you why. She wrestled a different style. Like, there was none of that. Look, she did the moonsault to the foot. She's never hitting a moonsault ever again, I don't think. I think that's a Ric Flair going to the top spot from now on. But this was her using her size and her grinding and her fighting. And the crowd got into this, I think, not just because of the Becky angle. 
I think they want women wrestlers to be just as tough and badass as the men. And I think that's what Charlotte brought here. I loved her in this. I loved the seething, the the kind of the roughness in the, in the first few minutes of, of, of the match where they're in the ropes kind of where it looks like a fight type fight. I loved that. Um, I, the kendo stick shots at the end, the chair at the end. Look, Becky said in the promo, I want you to, to I want you to beat Rhonda how I would have beaten her. And I think Charlotte did here. I don't think she's making a heel turn per se. I just think they're bringing ruthless aggression, so to speak, to the to the women's roster. And I think I there's a problem with it, but at the same time, I mean, I think what they did with her going through both of the iconics is basically to tell you, no, they're just bringing more of the alpha qualities to the women's roster now. They're kind of porting the Becky thing to Charlotte, which is a bit worrisome, kind of like how they did the Daniel Bryan yes chant to certain guys. To I the think big they show. To the big show, to Alberto Del Rio, to Stephanie. So there's a danger there that I may not, that we may not be seeing, that they may look at, oh, look, this made Becky successful. We can now make Charlotte successful this way. I just think they like badasses. I don't think they like stupid baby faces. So I love the match, and I really loved the post-match angle at Survivor Series because I thought that they had managed to find the weirdest of all possible angles, a double heel turn. And it was actually completely plausible and really narratively interesting, and it would have had to open up different lanes for a whole bunch of babyface-type wrestlers to come in and go up against now these three top heels in Ronda, Becky, and Charlotte. I have, I was very disappointed by them tapping the brakes on all of that on Monday and Tuesday and going, no, we're just doing this ruthless aggression thing. I think it's even less than that. I, I worry that it's even less than that, especially with tonight and Charlotte and the Iconics. I, I thought at minimum Charlotte was going to stay heel. Yeah, it feels a lot like when comic books really got into anti-heroes and they'd always introduce the anti-heroes by having them come in and kill a couple of B villains and stuff. You know, they and they always thought, "Oh, this will be the new cool villain. He kills people. Look at how vicious he is." It feels a little like that. But that chair spot, right? So Ronda on Monday night doesn't even oh, have a neck hell. brace or anything. I, I think that that's the problem is, yes, it would be one thing if it was that thing. But the problem is it's often not that thing, even though it should be. Dude, I am mad as hell at that. I, they, Ronda should be out minimum a month, if not bringing her back for the rumble. That's how long she should be out over that. She didn't have a neck brace. She didn't have problems speaking. She wasn't selling it. My my problem with WWE is that I get that people want to see the stars, but it's not that injury angles make baby faces look weak. Injury angles make the heels look vicious. That's what they don't get. They don't understand that it makes the other guy look good. And it drives me nuts to see these types of things where Braun Strowman got hit by a truck and was back the next week. What are you doing? 
What I mean, it's that that part drove me nuts. Uh, but I will say this: I think they finally they haven't figured this out. But maybe this was a bit of a hint that Ronda Rousey is far more of a natural heel than she is a babyface. I get that they're trying to play up on the baddest woman on the planet type of stuff. But every time Ronda Rousey lost, she was the worst person in the world to have to deal with. She was pouty. She, you know, she was ungrateful. She'd make comments about the fighters and how, what frauds they were, et cetera, et cetera. And it, it amazes me because Ronda's getting absolutely owned on Twitter by, by Becky Lynch. She's bringing Kool-Aid to a vodka party because Becky is running circles around here trying to expand this feud on Twitter. And the reaction in L.A. where they were chanting yes to Charlotte and the pouting by Ronda, you know, she was getting na-na, hey-hey, kiss-her-goodbye chants. They were singing that to her as she was leaving. And you don't play up on that at all? In addition, not playing up on the injury. When she yelled, you're not a man at that one guy who said, yeah. like, Becky's the man. He's, she's like, you're not a man. I, it Just go with it. But then in, on Monday, they edited the entire end sequence of Survivor Series, and you have just a different ending, the ending that they wanted. But that wasn't the story that everyone got, and it makes you feel kind of insulted, your intelligence at least. Yeah, I think I think she got mad at that fan because, look, she got the crap. Look, let's give credit now to Ronda Rousey. She got the crap beat out of her with those kendo sticks. She was absolutely mauled by those things. And I, I'm thinking some of the adrenaline may have kicked in there. And she didn't want to, he- I mean, when you're in pain, you don't want to hear anybody's smart-ass comment. So he, he kind of fired back at the dude. Um, but... You know, not bringing any of that up, really, and then, you know, editing it in post to make it seem like it's something else. Meh. Brock Lesnar defeated Daniel Bryan. Loved it. Absolutely loved this match. Uh, Daniel Bryan playing Larry Zbysko at first with the stalling. Loved that. Loved that once it became a match. Loved the first few minutes of Brock just kind of toying with him like a bear in his prey. I thought that was great. And then once Daniel Bryan kicked him, and I thought I thought Brock was overselling just a little bit here, but it got across that these kicks meant something. And Daniel Bryan remembered, oh yeah, I'm a heel too. Kick him in the face, the choking. I thought this match was better than we could have hoped for, given that there was no real person for people to cheer for, even though people were still cheering for Daniel Bryan. I thought Brock selling during the... Uh, Crossface or the yes lock, the desperation. Brock did a hell of a job putting Daniel Bryan over in this match, I thought. People wanted Daniel Bryan to get the win there, and it was plausible that he could have because Brock went for that F5, and then he pulled him up from the pin. And at that point, I was like, oh, oh, this could actually go in a bunch of different directions now. 
Brock should have won this match, but now his ego could actually cost him this match. And then that's what we saw for the rest of the match is Daniel Bryan starts to fire up. He fires back, and yes, he's a heel, but you're cheering for this guy because he's a smaller guy, and Brock's been such a dick, and he was just toying with him, and he could have won the match and chose not to win the match. So it's sort of naturally slightly baby-faced Daniel Bryan. You could get into it. Daniel goes for that low blow, and he has him in the let. And he has him in the yes lock, and it was really, really good selling by Brock. There was this sliver in my mind that actually believed that Brock might tap right there. And then, you know, the F5 made sense. I like it, and I like how Daniel Bryan tied it into the promo on Tuesday. So I think on balance, this match over-delivered. I love the grins at the end to each other, kind of the knowing nods. Like... Like Brock came back when it, when he was right at the stage. I thought there might be another mutual respect thing here going at first too. No, no. Brock realized that he made a mistake, and you have Paul Heyman staring at Brock Lesnar as they're walking out with this. Brock, you made a big mistake here tonight because I mean the error was that Brock didn't just close out the match when he could have closed out the match. Well, I I, I don't know the very last shot before the the Chiron went up was Brock looking back with a big grin. Like yeah, you almost had me there, and 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 Daniel Bryan with almost like a bloodlust in his eyes, with this tongue kind of out, also with a bit of a a little bit of a grin there, like I almost had you, you know, if I had just been able to do this. I th- there was a little mutual. I thought they might do a Shane uh, a uh, Seth Nakamura type thing before that, like when he was. Brock underestimated yeah. Daniel. That's that's the whole point here. Is that Brock made a near fatal underestimation of Daniel Bryan and that ultimately was good for Daniel Bryan too and as I said what he did tonight on SmackDown I think even amplified that further because it gives those facial expressions even deeper meaning like Daniel Bryan sitting there going thank you you've you freed me from the weaker older self and and I was able to hone into the new Daniel Bryan thank you so much no go into the promo a little bit more just in case anybody hasn't watched SmackDown a bit tell, tell them uh give them kind of a Cliff Notes version of it Okay, so this is a bit of a complicated promo. There's a lot of things going on here, and I want to make sure I capture all of the beats. So Daniel Bryan comes out, and he explains that there has been a betrayal, and it wasn't him betraying the fans or betraying AJ Styles in his honor by low-blowing AJ Styles. It was by him betraying his own dreams. And... Daniel came back and, you know, his slogan was, if you fight for your dreams, then your dreams will fight for you. And they found a really interesting way to invert this. So he talks about his time in recovery and how he had to spend hours alone in one of those hyperbaric chambers taking in oxygen. I was kind of giggling to myself because... I was imagining him getting oxygen poisoning and having these crazy fever dreams. And that is, to a certain extent, a a more serious extent, what is happening here. His dreams have now become slightly delusional, and he believes that he owes it to his ambitions, like blinding ambitions or blinding dreams. And, And I like that slant on it. And he talked about the Lesnar match, too, and he tied that in. This is a very, very strong promo, in my opinion, because he talks about how the Lesnar match purged from him any weakness. He purged from him the yes movement, Daniel Bryan, 
all the things that people knew and loved, and he, of course, healed on you people, and, and again, really established himself as this heel. And then at the end of it, after he finished his promo, he was leaving the ring, and he stops, and he, he grabs the microphone and makes sure that the announcer reintroduces him as the champion and the new Daniel Bryan. So, so there's this very strong and very clean break from the old Daniel Bryan. And, and the other thing I love is throughout this promo, he's really capturing the crazy eyes, but he, he really had this note of Bruiser Brody about him, unhinged. A little bit Unabomber-y, too. But, or even a little bit Charles Manson-y. And I like that. I, I like him a little unhinged. I like him blinded by this concept of what is his dream. And I also like how it plays on the fans' expectations a little bit. People, for so long, just wanted Daniel Bryan to come back and be WWE champion. And now you have it, and it's what you wanted, Right? Right, but it's not quite, and I like that it under delivers on that front too. Yeah, it's making lemonade out of lemons because they really blew his comeback by trying to basically by teaming him with Shane, and then you know never really giving him strong wins going through, and and you know the the Miz feud didn't didn't exactly do wonders for him. I'm wondering if they turn Miz babyface because they have no... Well, look at how the Miz feud ended. It just ended. Yeah. Right? Like, they didn't do anything with it. But the issue with this, in my opinion, is that it might be too subtle for this main roster audience to fully get their hands around. Oh, I'm... I'm, I will not fault them for trying to be subtle. I, I, I just won't because I want... No, no, I'm not faulting them. I like this. I, I, I want them to keep going. Challenge your audience and make them smarter. If you keep pandering to the lowest common denominator, the denominator gets slower. Look, I, I'm dealing with another show with pee jokes on it. Give me the subtlety of a Daniel Bryan, uh, Chris Jericho type of... Uh, Type of thinking in terms of in terms of what he could do to make his character crazy or whatever. I, I'm all for that. Um, I liked this. I am. I'm kind of withholding judgment until I see what the follow up is, because I'm I'm with you. Because um, I think it, it, it's not that I don't know if the audience is going to get this. I don't know if Vince is going to get this. It's so subtle. Um, but yeah, no, I, I have hopes for this. I I, I like this. If AJ Styles can get his contract uh, situation straightened out, um, I think there's going to be a long, good long-term feud. If he doesn't, I think it'll be a good short-term feud. Join us on patreon.com slash shakethemropes. Follow me at crapgame13. Follow the show at shakethemropes. I'd like to thank Robinhood for sponsoring our podcast this week. Chris, where can the people find you? You can find my other shows. One is called Don't Worry About the Government. You can find that on iTunes and Stitcher by searching Don't Worry About the Government or by going to Don'tWorry.tv. My other, other show is the All in the Family Podcast, which you can find at the theallinthefamilypodcast.com and by searching iTunes and Stitcher for the All in the Family Podcast. I'm on Twitter at C-H-R-I-S-N-O-V. E-M-B-R-I-N-O. For Thursday, or for Friday, I don't know if there's going to be a second show this week, kids, because, number one, I've seen NXT. I saw what the live one was. I don't know if there's going to be any news coming out of the second shows. It's a holiday here in the States. If I happen to have time to drop some audio, I will. Um, Otherwise, I hope you understand. I want to spend the holidays with my family and uh, 
take a little time off of the WWE. But as always, uh, whether you're here in the States... If you miss us, you should go to patreon.com slash shake them ropes and tell us how much you miss us.